as we uh, go into Philippians 2, 9-11, through 11, thinking of that humility of Christ, of what Spurgeon said, consider Him as He went to the lowest of the valleys that He would be exalted highly. He became obedient to the point of death. That's what we covered last week. This man, Christ, who is God. A perfect example of humiliation. All the steps downwards, as we looked at it last week. He kept going down and down and down. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of Christ. He went to the lowest that He could go. He went to the point of death, even death on a cross, the worst possible way that He could have died in this world. And He did all that to serve us. Incredible. We know that. Now what we have to do is put that into context with this Philippians 2, knowing that He took the steps downward all the way. And we have to think the context that started actually even before chapter 2 started. And then on into chapter 2 is dealing with humility. We're to be standing firm together. We're to be striving together and even suffering together. Remember that? And then we went into chapter 2 last week and we see, or not last week, but the week before that, is we're to make His joy complete, Paul's joy, in that we would maintain the same love, united in one purpose. One, one, one. the, The perfect unity here. One spirit, one purpose, one mind, one way of thinking. We're all striving for that. We haven't come to the ultimate Ephesians 4 says God has gifted us with certain gifts so that we'd all come to the unity of the faith. We're working on it. We're trying to maintain that. We're trying to have relations. This is how you can know God. You can know Him through His Word, but also you know it through knowing others and serving them. And then you see how low He went, so you get lower to serve Him. And so we see in verse 5, He instructs us to have the attitude of who? The attitude of Christ. That's who you look upon. You don't just say, okay, I've got to do this and grit your teeth. No, you look at Christ. Behold Him, just as Spurgeon said. Consider this man. Look at where He was at. How low He came. Consider Him and then consider that, that next thought immediately. After we see this humility, we get into a text that is dealing with His exaltation. And lofty. He went as low as he could go. He went up as high as he could go. This is one of the jewels in all of the Bible. Philippians 2, 9-11. through And I, I will tell you, I must come here today, as I should come every week, in fear and trembling, because this is the Word of God. I must treat it fairly. I will come short of the way that it needs to be treated. I will not be able to treat it like the way that I would really like to. So we can't begin to give all the justice due this text. It is incredible. It should stand out. And actually verses 6 through 8 is along with that. Humility and then immediately exaltation. And I want to establish a truism. This is for all of us. There is reward 
There is reward for faithful service. There is reward for faithful humility. God today, as well as last week, the week before, and the week before that, and on and on and on, is calling us to humility. What is that? Dying to self. We must die to self because it's not about us. We are so lofty and lifted up and we must take the steps down like Christ did so that He would exalt us in due time. Listen, there is blessing for sacrifice, folks. It's worth it all. There's a blessing in this. One day we will be exalted. What happened in the example of Christ as He went low? What happened to Him as He is exalted? And it's true for the believer. It's true for us. Now, let's consider that exalted man, God, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and let's turn uh, to our Bibles, to Philippians chapter 2, and let's read this wonderful text. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we thank You. What an amazing section. And this is God come to earth humbling Himself like no one has ever humbled themselves and then was raised up and exalted and sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power. And it's all for the glory of the triune God. May we be able to understand this and really put it into application and we can see Your grace that works in us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. We go right into verse 9. For this reason also, for this reason, it's it's a therefore, because of His humility, and, and look at the steps that He had downward. He was in the form of God and it started upward. He was he and he was very he was very God and he is very God, always has been. Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, like a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And that's where we left off. Now because of that, because He died for you, this blood's for you. Therefore, for this reason, because of what Christ did, God the Father is going to exalt His Son to this glory. What does that mean? Highly exalted. God highly exalted Him. Hyper exalted. Hooper converts to English hyper. Super exalted. He was super lifted up to the extreme point of glory. This is the supremacy of Christ, folks. That is where we must have Him always. He is supreme. We cannot teach and preach the supremacy of Christ enough. 
He is the Lord over our lives. He is supreme. He's been exalted. And so no matter what and where we're at in our lives, we must see Him lifted up there too. Look at the cross and then look at Him in that high exalted position. And who exalted Him? God highly exalted Him. Now, in um, modern evangelism today, um, what I grew up with is you make Him Lord. Make Him Savior and Lord of your life. You, know, you can make Him Savior now and then later on at a, at a revival or a church camp, a meeting, you can make Him Lord of your life. Or you can rededicate your life and say, now I'm gonna want, I want Him as Lord of my life. No. Uh, that is false. That's terrible theology. He's not a half a Christ, as to, uh, half a Lord, as I think Tozer said. No, He's all 100% Lord, 100% Savior. We don't make Him Lord. God has already made Him Lord. Look in Acts 2.36. A proclamation made by Peter on the day of Pentecost. The day the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And Peter preaches this great message and he tells about this Lord. And then he comes to near the end of it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified, He is Lord and Christ. By the way, uh, if you remember back in verse 22, uh, this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, but yet they nailed Him to the cross. Isn't that incredible? It was God's predetermined plan and purpose, and yet at the same time, men did it and they're held responsible for that. It's all God's plan. If He would not have done it, we wouldn't be here. We do not make Him Lord. He already is Lord. God did that. And Father, our Father God has an infinite delight in His Son. Did you know how much pleasure that He takes in His Son? Have you ever thought about that? That's a great pleasure. He followed Him in every way. Obedient in every point. His act of obedience. That means in all of His works that He did while He was here on earth. His act of obedience. Act of righteousness. Please the Father. Delighted in that. The Son esteemed the Father so much that He died for Him. That is incredible. When you do what uh, Christ did in the sense of dying to Christ in the Holy Spirit, whenever He was working in you, and by the way, we're working towards that, that, that famous verse in verse 12, and you'll be looking at it, I know, you're going to say, what, what, what? He's working out salvation. I mean, He's working in, and we are to what? Work out the salvation that is put in us. Um, he does that. And as we obey Him, the Father is pleased. He will reward you. We do have salvation, but there's something even more to come, much even better. You are not going to ever get what you deserve. We don't understand grace, folks. We're just learning. We have a lifetime to learn grace. We have 
been bent on so much on performance. But when you see that unmerited favor really acted out, God Himself coming to this earth and it's to buy us out of our bondage. Jesus is the proof. When you look at His exaltation, you see the economy of God's kingdom and you recognize He's highly exalted. He is Lord who was here. You know what? This encourages us. It encourages us to be selfless. This is part of dying to self. This is dying to self. This is a great doctrine of it. Self-giving. It's gospel-empowered. It's not gritting your teeth and saying, okay, I'll do it. It's saying, I want Him to come in and make me die at another point. I wish I would put that in my prayer this morning. Lord, help us to die a little bit more today because we haven't died enough. And Help us die tomorrow and the next day. We, we have to continue to die to this flesh. Right? Why does Paul share all of this? Because he wants to encourage us. He wants to show that you are grace-enabled. What a love. What a care that we can serve one another. One another. Look in Isaiah 57, 15. See, we're staying in the context and yet we're looking at this great high doctrine. We're getting doctrine and application here in this great text. Simply for the fact that's the way that Paul designed it really by the Holy Spirit who was inspiring him to write this. Isaiah 57, 15. Look at this. For thus says the high and exalted one. Don't you like that? That's what that's the way we're to see him. High and exalted. Who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. And also, look at this, with the contrite and lowly of spirit. That's who I dwell with, with the lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly. Have you been low? Have you been knocked down? Have you had the rug taken away from your feet? Are you down at the lowest point in your life? Have you ever had that happen? He says, I'm with you. And to revive the heart of the contrite. Are you repentant? Have you seen your sin? And you say, yeah. Well, He's there to revive you and to bring you up. He will do that. Isn't that great comfort? What are those steps up that He had? Dennis, we look at the steps low that we saw last week. I want to see some steps up. Well, for Christ, we see that it begins with the what? The resurrection. He was seen lowly until the resurrection happened. Go back to Acts chapter 2 again in verse 32. Really close to where we were at earlier. This Jesus, God, raised up again to which we are all witnesses. We witnessed. We know He was raised up. He was resurrected by God. He was resurrected by the Holy Spirit. His exaltation began right there. Right here while He was on earth. As He had this body He was raised up in. When men killed Him, when men buried Him, and after all that was done, they could never do anything to Him again. Look what they did to Him while He was here on earth. Man had done His worst to the Savior. But God exalted him. God honored him. 
Men called Him names, derisive names that they gave Him. But the Father gave Him a glorious name. Glorious name that He had. God raised Him from the dead. Uh, If you look in Acts chapter 13, man, this is very applicable for us. This is doctrine, but it comes to life in our own lives. Acts 13, verse 33, starting there. That God has fulfilled His promise to our children and that He raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. There, Peter even tells us, uh, I mean, Paul tells us here that, uh, as it's being written, Luke, actually, uh, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's speaking of His resurrection. He saw the Psalm 2 is what he quotes. And he says, As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to, remain, uh, to return to decay, he has spoken in this way I will give you the holy, sure blessings of David. You will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. David wrote that. Then it's quoted here in Acts. The Holy One, which is the Messiah, would not decay. He would be resurrected. So he's quoting there that he would be raised up. And that goes right back to the writing of David, which was a thousand years before Christ, speaking of the resurrection of the Messiah. And then it's quoted right here early in the church. Matter of fact, we've seen Peter already talk about the resurrection is a key point to the Gospel, is it not? That's what we have to brag and boast about when we take the message of the gospel to the lost people that He's resurrected. God raised Him from the dead and because of that resurrection, you know what He provided us? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And freedom from sin, from the law, from the death that we would have. Freedom from that. Now, the next thing that He did was He not only was raised, but He ascended So He raised Him up. He highly exalted Him in ascending. Here He is on earth and then He takes off to be with the Father. Turn to Hebrews 4.14 just for a moment. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. He is Lord. (laughs) He passed through the heavens. Turn to Acts. Well, we've been turning there a lot today, haven't we? Acts chapter 1, verse 9. This is history. This is fact. This happened. And after He said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received Him out of their sight. He was here. And then he wasn't. He was gone. He was taken. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Just as he, he will also come back. In a twinkling of an eye. Oh my, the ascension. He ascended right before their eyes and immediately taken up. 
Isn't that glorious? And that's exaltation right there. There is no one who can do that. Now, people have tried. They've tried to jump off buildings thinking they can fly. <laughs> and law of gravity. Okay, the next one is that he was coronated. A king is coronated. He is crowned. And if we turn back to Acts 2.33, which we have been, you could almost hold a finger there in Acts today, couldn't you? 2.33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, the right hand of God, the right hand, that's the third phase of this exaltation. It's talking about power, authority. That's what the right hand means. Matthew 28.18, as He instructed the apostles, as He gave His last instructions before He left, He told them this. In Matthew 28.18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority, all authority, do you get that? Has been given to Me in heaven and on earth, everywhere. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. All authority. Then He says, hey, I want you to do everything I commanded you. (laughs) Because He's Lord. That's why. That's why He can do that. We're not the Lord of our own lives at all. No way. We don't have that opportunity. (laughs) We don't have that choice. He is Lord. Mark 16, 19. We might think we are calling the shots in our lives. And when we do, we don't do very good, do we? Mark 16.19 So when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Sat down. The high priestly work, the priestly work as far as the sacrifices is done. Now He will continue to intercede for us like a high priest as Hebrews says, but in the situation of sitting down, He is the priest that was different than all the other priests that went in the tabernacle. Because they couldn't sit down because there were no seats in the tabernacle. You don't sit down. You continue to do that until the high priest Jesus Christ comes and then He says, it is finished. And now He goes up into heaven. Wow. What's the significance? He has all authority. Everything that's going on on this earth, ultimately, he, this is His kingdom. It may not seem like it right now. One of these days we will see it ultimately. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom. That kingdom that You have right now? Thy kingdom. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come and Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We desire to see His will being done everywhere. He is Lord. He is controlling everything. Anything that He wants to stop, He can. Or start, He can. He's in control. He lets men do what they do, but He holds them back also from doing, destroying this whole earth. He is Lord. This is His kingdom. He's always been that way. We are in His kingdom. Now, there's a kingdom yet to come. And we look to that too. Beautiful. The, the king here moved in power and authority. How much power does he have? Let's look in Ephesians 1, verse 20. This is exciting. This is our King. Did you know the King is present with us right now? He says come before the throne, right? We've come before the throne. And if He were here, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be speaking. I mean, if you were physically. So in the meantime, He uses the Word of God to speak to us. Did you know? You may not think about this. 
But He's speaking to us at this very moment as we turn to His Bible, His Word. He's speaking to us. That's how holy these moments are when we worship. When we come to Bible studies, folks, let's go to get the Word of God. And God uses men to be able to proclaim that Word. So it's we can read it by ourselves and we can hear it, but there's a, a mystery to the fact when we hear it proclaimed time after time. Don't get cheated by missing opportunities to worship. Stick that in your head. <laughs> Ephesians 1.20 Look at this. Which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. Who's Him? Who's head of the church? Christ. Christ is the head. We're the body. This body is not to be spastic. It has a head. It's calling, the, it's calling the shots. The body must move the way that the brain says to move. If we can do that, folks, we can make an impact on this world. But right now, it's so spastic, the world is confused when we give them the truth. <laughs> Keep giving the truth. His body, the fullness. Catch this. His body. Who's the body? Us the whole body of Christ in the world. It's us, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. His body is right here. That's us. There was a tabernacle, temple. There was Christ here on earth. And He says, I must go This is a good thing that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in you. And so now, Christ is in me individually, in you individually. And as we think as one, His body moves the way that He desires. We're still being formed and conformed to His death. But He's doing that. We are the fullness of Christ. Have you thought of it that way recently? That's overwhelming. Kind of blows my mind, and it is a mystery. But it's true. We are His body. That's how God works today. His Holy Spirit is in the temple of us individually, the whole body of Christ overall, and us locally. And you know what He's doing? Interceding for us. Because if we had it our way in our flesh, you know what we'd do? We would go our own way. The world has a lot of philosophies out there that sound right. And in fact, there's a lot of the world that's in the church today. And they will tell you things and you start beginning to believe it because it's a little more comfortable for your own way of thinking in your own mind. But the Word of God says this. But they will say, yes, but you must do it for yourself. You must make yourself happy. It's all about you. See, that's always been the way of the world. It's all about you. And Christ says, no, it's not about you. It's all about God and His glory. You have to die. So we're bringing this back into application. You have to die. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to make myself happy. No, you have to die. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the ones who are humble. It's not about myself. It's not about it at all. And you know why? So we when we have we've already sinned today because there's been some things probably about ourselves here today. And we didn't really appreciate his grace. Look at Hebrews seven. We sin. We sin. Not give an excuse. We are to die death. But in Hebrews seven, this balances it back off. Take a deep breath. Hebrews seven twenty five. Therefore he is able that's a power word. <laughs> he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God. Who are the ones who draw near to God? The ones that are called to Him. Nobody, nobody comes to Christ but except through the Father, right? Nobody comes to the Father except through Christ. But Father is granted them to the Son and then He's called and then we see they draw near to God through Him, through Christ. Since, look at this, He always lives to make intercession for them. He has already interceded for us to become His. But even while we live here on earth, He is interceding for us right now as a high priest does. The great high priest is interceding. So even when we do not give honor and glory to our Lord, guess who is on our side? Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, like the lawyer of the defense. Wow. That's what He's doing. Is that assurance? Remember that song we sang? Blessed assurance. Our forgiveness is ongoing. It's already happened. And He continues to intercede as we live in this life now. Isn't that great? Okay, Dennis, i got a question. Okay, He's God. He, he was Lord, but He's not Lord now. I mean, what, are you, what are you saying here? Um, how can He be exalted if He's already God? You said He's God and, and that's highly exalted, but yet He's humbled and Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus did not become the Son of God for the first time in the resurrection or in the ascension. And Jesus has always been Lord. He's always been the second person of the Trinity. There was never a time when He wasn't Lord and then He became Lord. But you look at this text here and you say, Dennis, how can you say that? It says God made Him Lord and so therefore that means He must have not been Lord. Well, the Apostle is not saying that here. He's not saying that Jesus one time wasn't Lord and now He is Lord, even though that be true. Jesus has always been Lord as He's always been the Word of God. It's just that now in the flesh that He appeared in, And in His flesh, He rendered such a service that God publicly owned and acknowledged Him and pronounced Him to be Lord. Coronation came. And we think of Psalm 2. I've begotten me. Paul is telling us here that God does this precisely because of what Jesus, God the Son, did in His humble service. So in His humanity, and also He has the deity at the same time, in His humanity also, now He becomes Lord. In John 17.5, He talks about His glory. He prays that He would be restored to that glory that He once had. Oh, John 17 is a great jewel. 
Verse 5, Now, Father, glorify Me together with Yourself, with the glory which I had with You before the world was. He had to empty Himself as He became like us. Became like us. He emptied Himself. He was still God all the way through. In Romans 14, 9, For to this end, Christ died and lived again that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Resurrection chapter. Then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power all the way up to that time. What the author of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says is this. In the days of His flesh, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the One able to save Him from death and He was heard because of His piety. And although He was Son, He learned obedience from the things which He suffered. And having been made perfect, He became to all those who obey Him the source of eternal salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. God took delight in the very willing, vicarious, substitutionary atonement. And in His act of obedience, which is applied to us, we get His works It's imputed to us. His works is imputed. Jesus accomplished for us in His life and in His ministry. And He took note of it. The Father did in a human way. He blessed it and He rewarded it. Oh, the Father was so pleased. What pleasure He had. Jesus had not fulfilled the mission of the Messiah until He died and rose again. So there is the aspect of the Lord there. He hadn't done the Messiah thing yet. He hadn't become flesh. So He had to die to be able to defeat sin and Satan and death to be Lord. In His humanity, He also fulfilled the will of God. Nothing new about that, is it? It's remarkable though. Let's go to the name in 2 verse 9 in Philippians now. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name. The name bestowed is, is a word uh, with the root word charis that's dealing with grace. He, he graced Him. He did it graciously. He, he gifted Him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly He gave Him this name. Well, what's the name? Let's look at Hebrews 1.4 just to start with that. And we'll build up on this. This great name. Hebrews 1.4 says, by the way, this is about the supremacy, the majesty of Christ having become as much better than the angels as He inherited a more excellent name than they. An excellent name 
much more than the angels. Uh, Look in Isaiah chapter 45, which is going to look very familiar as Paul relates some of that to us in our text. Isaiah 45, 21. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? That's our Yahweh there. And there is no other God besides me. And look at this one. A righteous God and a Savior. So we see Lord and we see Savior written by Isaiah 700 years before the Messiah, we're saying that this is Him. Let's go on further. There is none except Me. There's only one God. Turn to Me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And that that saved is related to the Savior. For I am God and there is no other. See, this is good news because in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it's just judgment. Judgment, judgment, because of the wickedness, disobedience, the rebelliousness of the hearts of the Israelites as they had turned to idols, turned away from God. And he says in chapter 40, the, the light of day just broke open. And he starts showing promises. And here he says, I am God. I am the Savior. I can save you from your sins. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I'm the Savior. I have sworn by myself the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. Turn to me. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. And they will say of me, only in the Lord, Yahweh, our righteousness and strength. Men will come to Him and all who were angry at Him will be put to shame. And the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, will be justified and will glory. All the ones who are His own, all the ones that are true, um, the ones of faith, they are justified. They will have glory. The ones who are against Him and angry at Him will be put to shame. And this is a text that is very close to our Philippians. As you saw, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance or confess. The name. Do you see the name? Uh, Lord. God. Savior. I'm God. There's no other. It is, is it not I, the Lord? The Lord. Who is that Lord? It's not only God the Father here, but uh, we're speaking of Christ who is the Savior. Uh, That reminds us of our um, Acts 10.36. And we'll go back to um, our Philippians in a moment. Let's see another one in verse 11. We'll skip ahead a couple verses. Acts 10.36. The Word which He sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ and look at the... You might have quotes here, parentheses. He is Lord of all. Who's the Lord? Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is Lord. He is Lord. 
Look in Philippians 2.11. We skip ahead. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation 17.14. We know that. We know Jesus is Lord. Why are we spending so much time on this? That is name. What is his name? Revelation seventeen fourteen. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. Oh, yes, I like that. We get to be with Him. This Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Chapter nineteen, verse sixteen. Look at that one more time. And on His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Are those in capital letters? Boy, that's an emphasis there to us, isn't it, as the translators put that down. Um, In Philippians, you'll see the word Lord that in Greek is kurios. Uh, In the Hebrew, as we looked in Isaiah, for instance, that is Yahweh. And when it's referring to Jesus in the New Testament, that kurios is just as good as Yahweh. He is Lord. The name Jesus is a human name. There were many Jesuses before Him and even after Him. Today we have Jesus. All sorts of Jesuses running around. And a lot of them play baseball. Um, means Savior. Joshua. Basically means the same thing. Yahashua. Yeshua. Related to that. It's the name of humiliation. It's the name of the Savior and to, to save, look what he had to do. There's a sacrifice with that. But in verse 11, we see this. Jesus Christ is Lord, the name above every name. That's the name of sovereignty. We see Him on earth as Jesus, the Savior. We see Him as the Savior. And he was, he was, they were told to call Him that name, Jesus, the Savior, for He will save you of your sins. But He's highly exalted. He is Lord. He's Jesus. He is Lord. And no, this is not a Yahweh-only church. <laughs> there are some of them, you don't say God's name without saying Yahweh, and that's it. They don't really see uh, need for uh, Jesus as the sovereign, majestic King, the supreme ruler. The name of His exaltation, and His exaltation is the Lord. The name that is above every name is Lord. The Lord victorious over all enemies. The name of His humiliation, the name of His exaltation. We have that. Both terms are sweet, aren't they? Jesus. Lord. What does this mean to us? We belong to Him. What does this deity name of Him mean to us? It means we are subjects. Are you subjects of the King? Or you want to call the shot? You want to be the king of your life? Go ahead. I dare you. <laughs> you were once there. Remember that? Yeah. Don't want to be there. We, we don't want to be kings of our lives. We don't want to be ruling. Let him call the shots. We're the children of the king. Isn't that great also? Children of the king. Let's go into the worship of this. A third one here. Bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. The worship, this is, first of all, the believer's response to this King. Our, you know, the reason that we exist is so that we can fall down 
It's so that we can worship Him. Every knee will bow. We, you know, it's, we hit the floor. All go down. And we are constantly doing that. Believers bow constantly. We do that now. That's a mark of a believer. That's what a believer is. He's always worshiping. Matter of fact, that's the absolute best that we can do here on earth when we're worshiping God. And that's, you know, we can, we can do it presently, but uh, also we, we do it constantly as we're being obedient. To be on our knees, uh, we are subject to Him. We are subject. He is the King. Don't we like that? Don't we like to be subject to our King? And that's what we're made for. We exist. We are here to worship with every ounce of our strength. In heaven. Who's in heaven? Who's in heaven today? There are two groups. One of them are angels. All the angels who and, and, and redeemed believers are there, aren't they? There are spirits there. There are spirits who are made perfect, Hebrews says. Who are those? Those are the guys that uh, now, as far as their spirits are concerned, they don't have resurrected bodies yet, but they're there in the presence of God and they're there now. And they acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Then there are the holy angels, the unfallen ones, the cherubim, the cherubim, uh, the the myriads, the general assembly, and and the church of the firstborn. They're all there, Hebrews 12.23 says. Revelation 4. uh, Look at that. In Revelation 4, this is just incredible worship here. uh, In in verse verse 8, the four living creatures, each of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within and day and night. They do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is who? The Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. We're going to be saying that. What is the confession of the Christian? Jesus Christ is Lord. They're saying that. And then verse 11, look at this. Here you have the 24 elders and they cast their crowns before the throne. They're saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. It was for His will that there was a creation and that they exist. It was all His will. That is great praise. That's in heaven. Lordship and sovereignty, and they recognize that. Now what about, as he says, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth. Who are the ones on earth? Well, we, we know that that's Christians. But every person on earth today, and who's ever been here and will be here, will bow the knee and recognize Him as totally sovereign, totally in control. That's unbelievers. That's believers. As believers, we bow the knee to God's wonderful grace. We submit to Him and we honestly say, You are Lord. Take control. I'm out of control. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And if you confess with your mouth, right? And you profess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Hmm. That's what we have done. We constantly do it. The mission of the church reaches its glorious conclusion when His name, Lord, will be sovereign and will be 
seen and sounded out all throughout the world. Most people in the world will not be believers. Few there be that find it. But one thing they will do, they will bow the knee. And they will be in terror. They will be in fear. They will enter into eternal punishment and damnation. And that's everyone on this earth will still bow the knee. That is incredible. All will acknowledge that. So all on the earth takes in believers, takes in unbelievers. Every time. And then it says under the earth. In Matthew 25.41 speaks of damnation. Speaks of hell. And you know who speaks of this? Jesus Christ. That's right. Himself. He spoke much of hell. There's a that theology going around again uh, that um, that's not a literal place. But Jesus uh, definitely differs with that. 25.41 Then, He will also say to those on His left, Depart from Me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. That's the text. There it is. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Their works will show that they really didn't care about Christ. And of course, those, the me there is people that uh, they did not serve. It's, uh, this is occupied by the damned demons and the damned men of all time. Jesus is going to be receiving homage from all the elect angels and all the elect men, and He'll be receiving homage from people who do not want to do that, have not done it here on earth at the time, but someday will come, He will come to earth and they will enter into eternal punishment and damnation while they're bowing their knee and confessing that He is Lord. That is the fact, the truth of the matter. It comes right from our text here today. It's hard, isn't it? Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you living for the King? Are you desiring to live for His will? What does confess mean? Well, it's out of that root word, hamalageo. Ekhamagaleo means to agree with, to be acknowledging and affirming with God that He is right. Everyone is going to agree He is Lord. We've seen some of these texts. It's by the Holy Spirit that we were ever able to say Jesus is Lord. In uh, Romans 12, I think verse 2. Many other texts. You know, this is the first confession of the church, the early church. Jesus is Lord. Let's say that together, Lord, real loud. Jesus is Lord. What a confession. And when we say that, and the Holy Spirit is uh, in our hearts about that, um, there's nothing better that we can say than that. When you present the Gospel, you have to call people to bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. That is part of the Gospel. That has to be brought forth. When you bring that out, you're calling people to see Him as Lord. Now, we're right at the end here in Philippians 2. 
We're about done. It's the best part. There's one reason why we're here, why we exist, why we're here on earth. And whatever we do, whether it be our jobs, whether it be wherever you're at in your own walk, in your own life, in your family, whatever, everything in your life points to this right here. To the glory of God the Father. We did the Westminster Catechism. If you would sum this up in your life and constantly say it, it is He who is the chief end of man. It is for His glory. To glorify God. Enjoy Him forever. And you know, He takes super pleasure in that. Every tongue, when they're doing that, are glorifying the Father. The Son is glorified. The Father is glorified. Perfect glory to the Son is perfect glory to the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Look in John 5, verse 23. This is great. So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So as we give glory to the Father, or give glory to the Son, then we honor the Father. That's why no other religions can claim Him as Lord. Of course, the Muslims say that they have their God, but they don't come through the person of Christ. There's not a personal relationship there whatsoever. And if they don't honor Jesus Christ and see Him as Lord, then they do not honor the Father God. And they are going to be judged and they will go to hell confessing that He is Lord. So when you have the Trinity, you are actually giving the Holy Spirit glory. You're giving because He's the one that's working in you. You recognize that. You're giving the Son glory for all that He did and His action. And you're giving the Father glory. God is glorified when the Son is glorified. God is glorified in anything that lifts up or exalts the Son. John 13.31 says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself. So now, after experiencing this illustration, we go back to where we started. We see the humility of Christ. We looked at that last week. And even before that, we see that we are to be of the same mind, the same intent, the same purpose. He's calling for unity. But the path to unity is very difficult because it's verse 3 and 4. And verse 3 and 4 says this. And I'm wrapping all this up to put it into your own life. You say, what is all about that glory all about? Yeah, I know He's Lord and everything. I know that, Dennis. I've been sleeping through all that. I haven't paid attention to that because I already know He's Lord. Well, here we go. If you miss, if you, if you miss that, it's okay. Let's go to verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. 
others. Whatever it is they're dealing with, they need, come in there and do it for them. Don't be conceited with humility of mind. Isn't that incredible? And if you need an illustration of that humility, you find it there starting at verse 5. He says, have this mind in you. The mind of Christ, really, it comes down to have this attitude. He wants us to know the same God who exalted a humbled Christ will exalt the humbled believer. Every believer is humbled. Is that encouraging? James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. We want to have that unity that maintains the love, the biblical love, this love of Christ. That one soul. It's intent on one purpose. The only way it's going to happen is through humility. The example of humility is Christ. And He compels us to humble ourselves before the Lord. So, let Jesus Christ's humiliation not only be the greatest truth in Christian history, but may it be a constant reminder of the fact that if you humble yourself seeking unity in the church, in the body of Christ, God will lift you up because He did it with His Son. Let's pray.